the coronavirus. We are all on lockdown. Uh, it has literally taken over our lives. The world has literally stopped. Um, and there's so much that we hear uh, all over social media. Like I said earlier, we bombarded with so much information. And sometimes it's very difficult to sift what are the real facts and what are just things that get passed on and stories get bigger and um, and, and change somewhere along the line as we hear them. So um, uh, it's important to know what the real facts are and to, to speak to people who uh, who can give us those real facts. And today I have with me uh, on air, and uh, it's a pleasure to have him with us, Dr. Terence Kamal. And just to tell you something about Dr. Terence Kamal, um, I happen to know him for many years. Uh, he's somebody who's extremely passionate uh, in terms of the work that he does, uh, service to humanity, uh, humanitarianism, um, and and he's very big in terms of sacrificing his own comforts for the benefits of those in the larger community. Now, once the first case was c- confirmed in South Africa, uh, he actually used a lot of his own resources to procure uh, medicines and treatments and made them available uh, to communities all over um all over the world but uh, dr terence kamal is a ypo member based in south africa um and since the early days of the covid 19 pandemic um and when it spread to Ac- africa is actively taking the lead to assist um uh, as far as far as the pandemic uh, is concerned he's the ceo of the medical expert consulting group uh, which specializes in medical legal services and consulting in the region and uh, from the time of the pandemic spreading to africa He's actively rolled up his sleeves as a doctor and entrepreneur and actively participated in finding urgent healthcare solutions for communities. He's also the current YPO Healthcare Business Network Engagement Officer, amongst many other titles. Also among his titles, he was also a military veteran captain on the presidential medical team and medical task force. And whilst in the military, he also trained as an anaesthetist and an intensivist. Um, so, Dr. Terence Kamal is out there, rolled up his sleeves, is on the field. Um, he's making it count. Um, he is sharing his knowledge. He's literally, um, he's literally supporting and helping wherever he he can and it's people like this that we really need in our communities um, to get us through it so I thought Terence uh, Kamal would be an ideal person to have with us in the show as he's committed and he remains committed to helping communities in Africa and all around the world as well so Dr. Terence Kamal welcome to the weekend lift off here on Lotus FM and thank you so much for joining us this morning good morning thank you for having me and good morning to our listeners Right, Terence, um, you're in the thick of things, uh, it seems. And uh, like I said uh, to our listeners, uh, and I've been saying this over and over again, it has not been an easy road, but we're all bombarded with so much uh, that is happening. We hear things every single day. We listen to the media. We're watching things on social media. And often it can get pretty confusing. It can create uh, some panic as well uh, because it's very difficult to sift between what is and um, what people perceive things to be. So as you see it, what is the situation right now as far as South Africa is concerned? Sure. Thank you. I think the challenge with, with panic is, is, is most of it is positive intent. People are panicking because there's so little information that is factually known and a lot of suspicion out there. Mm -hmm. My concern in South Africa is we're still in the early stages 
although the minister, and I say it with great respect to government, and as well as the president, are doing everything possible within the resources we have in the country and, 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 and the resources that we're importing and then bringing into the country, we're still very early to predict what would happen with the, the corona COVID-19 crisis in South Africa. My concern is, because it's so early, we shouldn't take it for granted that when we start seeing statistics online, or seeing government put out statistics saying we're flattening the curve, because it's, it's, it's a bit of a misperception. And I say that because the fact that you're doing some isolation yeah. uh, or limiting people's uh, contact and increasing social distancing doesn't mean we're limiting the spread of the virus. Right. One of the biggest challenges, amongst many other things, is we're simply not testing enough and people are minimally compliant in large communities. So if we're not testing enough, we simply won't get enough results being done. And one of those key aspects is I had a chat with, I think, a Dr. Harry Passard a, a, a week or two ago from Lancet, and he had said they were so overwhelmed, they were out of capacity and were testing four to five days later on, on samples that they had received, and, and they just didn't have capacity. So they were maxing out their capacity. Government is maxed out, and I presume most of the private labs are maxed out. Mm-hmm. So we're at a point where they're testing only those at high index of suspicion, right. which is extremely concerning. Yeah. Of course, uh, th- that is the question on everybody's minds, exactly, um, because if we really had to test, um, I, I suppose our numbers would be something else, right? Right. So, Terence, um, having said that, um, you know, um, people are all trying to do whatever they can with the lockdown. Um, um, obviously, um, you know, um, not everyone is obeying or, or adhering to the lockdown uh, rules and regulations. Uh, but generally, the South African public is trying uh, their best, I think, uh, to uh, to make the situation better or to just follow the regulations as stipulated by the president. What else can we all do, South Africans, to make the situation better or to help the situation? Sure. I think that's multifold, Jay. I think the first one is to work on ourselves and what we call our micro-community, our immediate families, mm-hmm. to actively educate and minimize contact outside of our home environments and to sanitize as often as possible. Even if it's not with alcohol-based products, it's soap and water, minimize facial contact, and take care of our own good health. Because there is data out there that definitely confirms that patients with pre-existing medical conditions. So it would be your, your, your obese patients, your diabetics, your hypertensives, people with pre-existing lung disease, including asthma and related conditions, are at a higher risk. Yeah. There's been a lot of talk only about age, and I, I completely disagree with that, because there are many factors that have influenced the data that come, had come out of China in terms of its holidays and otherwise. So in, in my view, everyone's at risk. Your health profile just increases your risk exponentially across what could happen if you contracted the virus and the complications related to that. In terms of our communities, those who have resources to provide to larger organizations who are looking at simple social requirements of nutrition, hydration, and, and, and self-care, because it's all well and good to say wash your hands as often as you can to a community that that, that has water and resources, right. but a community that doesn't have running water or good nutrition has a very different urgency and very different need. Yeah. So there have been media reports, which, which we've all seen across the country and internationally, where we've had people in, in our lower income and poorer communities who are standing in line to buy food after lockdown. The reality is because they are hand-to-mouth people. Absolutely. So it's not they want to be non-compliant. 
they need to survive. They're not people with bank balances. Yeah. They live on a, on, on, on a rolling basis of money in, money out, and sometimes even the money that comes in is too little. Exactly. So those are the aspects we've got to look at. Is those who have need to share their resources, influence, and access at least to whether it be food, nutrition, uh, sanitary products, and, and if need be, personal protective equipment. So anything you have access to, please share your resources within your networks and communities and start with your own communities as, as close as you can. Yeah, I think that's brilliant advice because exactly what was on my mind as well. We talk about hygiene, we talk about washing with soap and water, we talk about sanitizers. And for a lot of people, most people in this country, you, they're worrying about where the next plate of food is going to come from and how do we survive today. Um, so thank you for shedding some light on that, uh, Terence. Now, I need to ask this question. I'm, I'm getting, um, I'm getting uh, lots of questions from our listeners as well, and um, I'm going to ask them as well. But how long does the virus survive outside of the body on surfaces, etc.? According to the data we have, according to the New England Journal of Medicine, which is a respected publication, it could last on some surfaces for a few minutes to a few hours, up to 72 hours, which is three days. Right. Those are steel surfaces and harder surfaces. My, my concern was right from the beginning when government had initially put out information, they had said, don't worry, we're a hot country, the virus won't survive for more than a few minutes outside of the body. Right. And I shuddered when I listened to that. When, when, when the National Institute of Communicable Diseases had a webcast to, to, to healthcare professionals. Because if that were true, then why do we have challenges in Iran, Iraq, and the UAE? Right. These are extremely warm countries. So I think making broad sweeping statements in, in these times are, are, are poorly informed and, 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 and disingenuous because it puts the larger community at risk when we make factual statements because we're so early in this. In the first few months, of an infection that we barely understand and have mi- minimal treatment options at this point. Right, because um, uh, we, we've been bombarded with that, right? When you speak mm-hmm. about the, the virus can't survive in heat and uh, it's cold because we're coming into cold as we're getting into winter here in South Africa. So that has been also a concern and it's also flu season. Terence. Um, now, that poses a whole different kind of pressure, right? Because yes. how do you distinguish? I mean, generally, people start getting the flu. Uh, if we're going into winter, we're going into flu season. Um, how do you even distinguish? But what, what, what do you do? Sure. For the lay person, in my honest opinion, and I say it with respect to every single listener, it, it's going to be almost impossible to distinguish between the two. Your symptoms are very similar. You are going to get upper respiratory symptoms, so a runny nose, you're going to get a nose issues, you're going to get a cough, you're going to get some body aches. And I've been in talks to some of my colleagues in the U.S. and elsewhere who've actively been infected with the coronavirus, so we have personal experiences of what you go through through that cycle. We've actually had a good friend of mine journaling what his experience was every day, and that was pretty useful. But for the for, for the man on the street or the, the, the common person, it's difficult to distinguish between the two. And therefore, we're saying take as much preventative measures as you can. So something like taking the flu vaccine is, is, is not critical, but a very strongly recommended practice. So it reduces your body's potential for long-term exposure to the normal influenza. So we can try and distinguish. And then the social distancing and good, good sanitary practices, because you want to limit your potential risk 
of contact individuals who may or, or, or have some exposure to the coronavirus or be carriers who are asymptomatic. I, for example, was at a hospital facility yesterday in mm-hmm. which there are confirmed cases. I, I went in to see patients for, for other medical conditions, but it was a heightened security and lockdown. If I was not a doctor, non-medical people not allowed into the facility. Mm. Right. Right. Okay, so you've answered one question. One of our listeners uh, just sent us a question as well, asking about the flu vaccine. How important is it to take the vaccine? And uh, I think you've answered that already. So it just it it will assist in in terms of keeping our immune system up and helping as far as the flu is concerned, right? Um, Now I'm coming back to the same thing that we we I asked you earlier, and you spoke about the virus. People saying the virus does not survive in heat, and you know uh, it. It, it survives and it thrives in cold. Uh, I mean, I know, I've been seeing it on WhatsApp and social media, people bombarding you with things that you should be drinking and taking. <laughs> don't eat ice cream, don't eat cold, drink cold things, um, drink warm liquids all day because the virus can't survive if you do that. So these are the kind of things that have been floating around. How would you, yeah. how would you react to that, Terrence? I would say look at all of those with extreme caution. I think sometimes, Jay, you know, in times of panic, and, and I sympathize with the individuals looking at this, people are desperately looking for practical or simpler solutions. In a state of abnormal and, and a, uh, an environment that we've never seen, not just in South Africa but in the world, people's intent remain positive. But a lot of the misinformation is simply untrue. Because very simply put, all you need is one of those, those droplets with the, with the, with the virus to, to be contracted into your airway. And irrelevant of how much, and I've seen some ridiculous things of use a hairdryer up your nostrils and strange things, but once the virus is in your body, yeah. your body is going to be the host and allow that virus to replicate. Right. It's how you then manage it from a symptomatic perspective. And in those, what we are now saying, 20% of the patients, and in some cases more, those patients who do then lead to significant symptoms and complications, you then need urgent medical assistance when it is warranted. Because I can tell you at this stage, as much as government is prepared, if it spreads at the rate we are suspecting from the data we're seeing internationally, if you test every single patient, we are, the government is at heightened preparedness, but we are in unprecedented waters in what could potentially happen to, to the healthcare system. So again, when it comes to a lot of these, these, these uh, chain well, WhatsApps and messages being forwarded, be cautious because you need to take basic precautions of maintaining your normal health and, and, and our communities at high risk of diabetes and hypertension and other medical conditions. Make sure all of that is optimized because those are going to be part of the contributing factors that decide the rate of the virus replicating in your body and the rate of you getting complications from an active infection. Are we going to get infected? Statistically, epidemiologists from Harvard and elsewhere are saying 40 to 70% of the world's population will be exposed directly mm-hmm. in some form or the other. Yeah. How we respond to that will be critically important. Right. And I mean, looking at Italy and looking at New York as the epicenter there in America as well, now we can see what's happening there as well. So lessons yeah. to be for us to learn as well um, here in South Africa. Now, Terence, this is an important question, I think. It's a simple question, uh, and I, I've been wanting to ask you this, and one of our listeners also sent the question. Um, you know, people say use gloves when you're out, uh, use masks, do the sanitize, all of that. Um, the question of masks, should we be wearing masks uh, um, when you're going out? For example, you're going to buy your groceries, stuff like that. Should we be wearing sure. masks? Okay. 
the official position from, from the WHO and government at, at this moment in time yeah. is you don't need masks if you're not in a high-risk environment or high-risk occupation, so you're not a healthcare worker or a yeah. key giver or something to that effect. However, I'm seeing new data, which I've, I've been strongly supportive of, coming out from various centers internationally saying the Far East helps resolve these infections because they walk around with masks. And you've probably seen this when you travel internationally. It's mostly some of our Asian colleagues who travel in airports and airplanes who mm-hmm. have a mask on in the airplane, in the airport, and they've done this long before corona. Right. There is early stage data saying that it can potentially protect you. The reason it's not been put out from a practical solution. It is just not enough to go around. I'm facilitating through uh, you know, our companies and my peers and our networks to actually get basic masks available for hospital facilities at Arctic Arms and King Edward and then various other facilities that I'm in talks with right now that need support if we're trying to system in as far field as Malawi and as Seychelles that need support at this point. It is because there's an undersupply. But in my personal situation, if you do have a mask, I'd recommend wearing one. I went to the hospital last night. I wore a mask getting in and out, except in the ward that I was. But ideally, it is good to try and minimize that because very simply put in that, this is my common sense perspective, is you have no idea who's coughed in that room or that, that area a few minutes before you got there or in a public space. And you have no idea what any person you're passing is potentially carrying as an asymptomatic carrier. Absolutely. Absolutely. Agreed. So if I'm going out to get a few groceries um, or essential items, I should be wearing a mask, ideally. All right, the beautiful voice of Shreya Gershal there. Uh, right, uh, we were having an incredibly interesting uh, conversation with Dr. Terence Kamal. Privileged to have him with us uh, on here, air here at uh, Lotus FM. What did I just say? But anyhow, uh, he's been really, I, I feel a lot more enlightened uh, and aware after uh, listening to him answer some of our questions and some pressing questions from listeners there as well. Uh, please keep them coming if you have them. Terence, Welcome back. Thank you, Jay. Um, right. So uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember where we stopped. But uh, I, I wanted to ask you as well, Terence. We asked about masks. I did ask about masks, right? Yes. Now you go to uh, uh, the store to buy your essential items and stuff. You notice, I'm noticing that sanitizers are placed in a lot of places as well. What about cleaning sanitizer? I mean, everybody's touching a sanitizer bottle, right? I think when it comes to sanitizers, trying to minimize your contact to, to, to any high contact services. Ideally, my best practice is if I used a uh, you know, product that I use, a medical product called D-Germ, I would sanitize my hands and then wipe off the bottle before placing it back for someone else using it. Right. Less touch is, is, is much better at this stage. But if you're in your home, uh, soap and water, right? You don't have to be using soap a sanitizer. Exactly. All you want to do is you want to make sure you get your hands washed off as often as, as, as possible without becoming OCD about it, but becoming high, a, a, high, a heightened awareness of making sure you, you keep your hands clean at as all times as possible. Right. I ask that question because I've often seen people wash their hands at home and then go to the sanitizer bottle uh, to apply the sanitizer as well because people, you know, like you said, people, we get, we get paranoid. Uh, yeah, and so, yeah. so if you're using soap and water, like you said, you don't need to then thereafter use a sanitizer as well. To, to give you context to that, when, when we as doctors go to theatre or my, you know, my colleagues more often these days go to theatre, you're using good quality hand wash before you use your gloves to go and operate. Right. Nobody's applying a sanitizer or alcohol-based product before operating. 
So in, in, in a practical sense, a good hand wash with a thorough hand wash for 20 seconds using the correct techniques that are well circulated is, is, is appropriate at this point. All right. So, Terence, my, my next question to you, um, we said it's so difficult in terms of distinguishing between the ordinary flu symptom and uh, if you have uh, the coronavirus. Now, yes. what do I do if I think I'm infected? I mean, because, again, there's also paranoia. You get a sore throat, you get a runny nose, you're feeling a little feverish. We're all starting to feel, do I have it? There are various services available at this point. I think your easiest touch point would be your local healthcare practitioner or the family GP. Be in touch with them, either if they're consulting directly or if they're consulting remotely, which is now authorized by the Health Professions Council, or use one of the online services provided by one of very many brands across the country. I personally am doing hundreds of consultations per week, sometimes more than 100 a day, with friends, family, and, and patients across the country or continent who just have exactly that panic saying, I'm not sure. And even if you don't have a strong travel history, there's always those risks. But because of capacity issues at this point, the, the situation would be, let's manage whatever your symptoms be symptomatically. Because even the treatment mostly for the coronavirus is symptomatic treatment before attacking treatment against the virus. But try and manage the symptoms directly. Right. So, so if I'm home and I feel like I have a fever, I have a cough, uh, my throat is sore and stuff, then just deal with those symptoms and isolate. Is that what you say? But also contact your, your local general practitioner, somebody who's your family practitioner or somebody that you rely on regularly. Let them know what your symptoms are so at least they can, you can have a record of it. And yeah. if things were to progress and it then becomes a, a concern at some point in their informed opinion that you need to be tested or go to a particular facility, you have somebody monitoring that. Right, right, I see that. Um, Terence, also, as far as the virus is concerned, can it affect our food supply? Yes and no. Because it can survive on any surface, we have no idea what, what surfaces it can affect. And, you know, we fielded lots of questions in the last few weeks about can you have human-to-animal trans- transfer and various transfers. But if it is a droplet, it can land on any product. So try basic hygiene practices, so not coughing in, in, into the open air, coughing into a, a, a folded elbow, using tissues, and try and minimizing exposure in different areas. But can the droplets land on any surface? The answer is yes. But I don't think it's very probable that you're going to pick up corona from eating your salad. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So um, then one more you go out to buy grocery. I'm asking these questions because these are daily, everyday questions people wonder about. Like, I, I, wa- I want to go buy some essential items now. I'm going to use my mask. I'm going to get to the store. I'm going to go quickly to the grocery store, buy my stuff. So people are talking about you get home uh, immediately, leave your shoes outside, take the clothes out that you were wearing, put it in the wash, wash it separately, and get into the shower again. So those are all things you should be doing? I disagree. Uh, for, 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 for the ordinary citizen who's not in a high-risk healthcare environment, I don't think that's warranted at this stage for the following reasons. The, the practices of doing such things, and that circulated from medical documents from some international practices, I think they were out of the U.S. specifically, in which healthcare practitioners were advised, because you're in a high-concentration environment and the virus could be aerosolized in that environment and through the air circulatory systems, in that hospital. So if you're in a treatment ward or a treatment facility, you have minimal fresh air coming in and you have a high risk of these droplets landing on your clothes or shoes or something to that effect. In those circumstances, in extremely high-risk areas, those, those practices are warranted. The common individual is at a far lower risk. 
is almost a minimized risk of having such aerosolized droplets being around them in, in given circumstances. And therefore, I don't think it's warranted at this point. All right. Uh, thank you for that, Terence. And then I have one question from one of our listeners who says, what can one take home remedies? Are there any home remedies if you're feeling like perhaps you are, you are having symptoms of, of the coronavirus? Is there anything at home that you can do? Professionally, I would, I would advise using the, the mainstream medicine for those treatments. Mm-hmm. But from my personal perspective, outside of being a doctor, in, in, in good practice, and I think as the weather gets cooler, there's no harm in the traditional treatments of purely just improving your, your individual symptoms. So what, what I, we call in our home ginger milk, so something with turmeric, ginger, and some black pepper with some honey added, mm-hmm. or, or king soup, what, what others call rasam or raso. I see no harm in them. I don't think they're going to solve the corona crisis, but at least it helps your, your situation and circumstances if you're symptomatic for that given period. It's not mainstay treatment, right. but it is, it, it, they, I don't see harm in it, but mainstream treatment should be under, under the guidance of a healthcare practitioner. Right. Uh, I've also have a question. It's 21 days are locked down. What happens after that? Is that enough? My honest answer is I don't think so. Because there is statistically, and without getting into too much detail, there are concerns and some of the data. We've been talking about this for weeks amongst uh, the, the healthcare and business communities. And just yesterday I've seen data where it speaks specifically of what we call the second dip or the third dip where it's not going to reach a day, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, but we're not going to reach day 22, and we say, thank you, Corona, we're fine now, go home. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that the, the, the infection rate is going to progress, hopefully slower than it is, as, as it's colloquially called flattening the curve, but it will not Im- improve immediately after the 21 days. The risks are still going to be there. All we're looking at is within those 21 days to minimize the, the amount of, of social contact and, and, and the potential to, to, to get... The, the infection or contract the infection. But beyond that, those risks are still there. Materially, is there thinking in the business and the healthcare communities that the lockdown may extend? There is a very high likelihood it may. If not an, a lockdown, there may be an adjusted model that this may continue. The realistic answer around when we talk vaccines and other treatments that, that are around, there are a lot of off-label treatments being tested and used internationally that won't solve you not getting the coronavirus. So even if you were to get a vaccine right now, very much like the flu vaccine, getting the vaccine doesn't mean you won't get an infection. It simply means your body is better prepared to deal with the infection. So even if we had extreme solutions right now as vaccines and a mainstream treatment, does not mean you won't be exposed and symptomatic. It means we'll be able to respond better. So post-21 days, I think there's going to be a lot of decisions to be made because the decisions right now are not just health-based only economic meltdown that we have internationally and more particularly in South Africa because as, as you know from last night I think Fitch graded, downgraded us yet again and mm-hmm. the RAND is tanked beyond the 19 RAND mark. Yeah. So I think there's a lot on, on hand. Our, our president and, and he's, he's, he's a minister of health and other ministers who are involved in these decision-making committees have shown amazing leadership but I think that's a decision to be made at that point. Are they considering it right now? I'm convinced they are.
Sure, sure. Right, Terence, coming back to this, uh, this is a question from a listener, and I, I'm going to ask it because I think it's something that's confusing a lot of people as well, and hopefully you can help us with this too. Sure. I asked you about going, coming home from shopping, washing your clothes, all of that, um, and I've heard a lot of this as well. So the listener says, uh, please ask doctor to clarify this for me. Is it true one must wash? Like if you go out to buy your groceries, you buy canned foods, or you buy uh, like your pre-packed things or whatever, must you, must you wash it with salt water and wipe the packets where our groceries were packed with soap and water. She says so many things out there and it really confu- confuses us. Okay. In, in, I don't think there's a, a, a common answer or a solid answer because there's, there's not been enough data to indicate that do this or don't do that. And even if we have data it, that's correct today that evolves tomorrow between, between the scientific communities and our peers. My personal practice, and I can only speak for myself, if, if I receive anything outside of my home environment, I usually wipe it off with a sanitary wipe. I don't think we've gone to the extent of washing them off. But from a practical perspective, you have no idea who's been in those environments before you did and touched those objects before you did. Exactly. The, I don't see harm. As we do, do with vegetables to wash them off because of chemicals, I don't see any harm in wiping off products you, you brought from outside of your house. Because as much as we're social distancing, it does not mean people haven't had contact with other objects that you bring into your, what we would want to call our safe environment, the home environment. So I'm not advocating wash every single thing that comes through your door, but it may be good practice that something that may have had high contact, like a tin or something that you suspect may be at high risk. For example, I receive careers all the time of, of medical products and other, other urgent goods that we need to, 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 to use or pass on. We then have our office use a sanitary wipe to wipe those off. Right, exactly. Um, that answers that. I was thinking that too, because so many people go into the store, they touch it, they look at it, they put it back down. You don't Correct. know, right? <clears throat> so Terence, I know we've taken up so much of your time and you've been so very kind sharing your, your knowledge with us this morning. Um, you may have answered this somewhat in your, uh, in your answers thus far, but um, um, Kay has just sent us a message and she says, if we diagnose, after we diagnose, what is the treatment? At the moment, mainstay of treatment is symptomatic. The, the coronavirus, or coronavirus or the COVID-19 is primarily a respiratory uh, illness at this point. There are implications where it then spreads to the rest of your body, but your primary symptoms, which is what eventually becomes lethal in, in, a, in, a, in a fair number of cases, it's just respiratory symptoms. So I would say if you are tested positive and confirmed positive, don't panic because more than 80% of the individuals have symptoms of various degrees and don't complicate enough to warrant airway support or ventilation or even admission to an ICU facility. So it's being in contact with your, your closest healthcare practitioner. If you're worried they are not up to speed or, or, at, or at capacity at this point, there are multiple numbers for the Department of Health, the NICD and various facilities of who to talk to to get help. I'm more than happy to, to assist individuals who need a word of advice occasionally uh, via you know, my public platforms where, where we need assistance. Because I think now's the time to step up and say, this is what we're here for, to give some level of peace of mind. But for the symptomatic treatment, most healthcare practitioners are going to deal with it on a day-by-day basis. But as and where required, we'll warrant and recommend where you need to be in an urgent care facility where they need to provide more, more aggressive treatment for you. Fantastic. Terence, final words of advice and encouragement for our listeners. Final words are... Every decision we make, every minute of the day, from now going forward, and this has always been valid, 
will impact everything we do. And we colloquially call it in my household, BC and AC, before Corona and after Corona. Mm-hmm. During this period, to get us to a stronger and healthier community and, and world after Corona, every decision we make now has to be a responsible one. Make every active effort to educate and circulate good information to those near and dear to you and those around you within your circles of influence and try and minimize panic. Try and share good practices and make sure you start caring initially for yourself, your family as a unit of society, and then contribute as much as you to those around you, including our domestic helpers and, and the communities outside of our immediate family, because it is only by contributing that we can make a difference in the world. Well, Dr. Terence Kamal, we can't thank you enough for joining us this morning, giving us a few time, uh, and also for your passion and your commitment. Uh, really heartening, uh, really wonderful uh, listening to you. I, I know it's clarified so many things in my mind. Uh, I've asked you so many questions from our listeners as well, and we could have you here for hours because if I tell you how many questions, I'm already still getting that. I can't get to everybody. Hopefully we can have you again on the show sometime as we're moving through this and navigating our way through it but like i said uh, such true service and humanitarianism thank you 